yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time imon irok the yen of chacht erachor. Agus suligam a makan sha gurfeder erachor inuik kiart len of winter fein. Skilti fis turmi. Tashe dochrecha nach vetoch ara igornamyan on kestchen ekol. Vien talam aginam griv arkar nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. The Big Tech Podcast, in proud association with Magnet Networks, connecting businesses virtually anywhere in Ireland. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Wackler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. This week we're going to talk about 5G, the 5G rollout, and we're going to look at it not from the point of view of speed or functionality, but we're going to look at uh, an issue that is bubbling under in rural areas around the issue of safety and whether or not mobile phone uh, radiation is safe. The vast majority of regulators, sorry, all of the regulators and all of the safety authorities say it is, but there are a number of uh, campaigners who are questioning that. And I decided to go and look at some of these claims and to talk to some of the people to see whether it's just conspiracy theory or whether there is anything more to it. So the two people I'm going to talk to this week are Professor Tom Butler, a professor in, in business information systems at University College Cork and a former research fellow for the Irish Research Council for Humanities and Social Sciences. But first, I'm joined by Professor Kevin Curran, who is in the School of Computing, Engineering and Intelligence Systems at Ulster University. Professor Curran, welcome to the show. Thanks, Adrian. Thank you. Now, you posited a view, which I quoted you uh, at the weekend, in saying that basically if mobile phones caused brain tumours at the same rate that cigarettes cause lung cancer, that someone would have spotted it. Do you believe that? I do indeed, um, because there's a lot of people out there examining evidence for, you know, basically we, we've had investigations into radio frequency waves for the best part of, you know, 60 years, really. Some people claim back to 100 but really in the last 50 years we've had a lot of investigations into you know the harmful effects of you know of ionizing radiation but of course also non-ionizing to know where the difference is and there is no smoking gun as such now i I can see why some people have doubts about non-ionizing radiation and radio waves in general and think there's a danger but Again, because in truth, it's a difficult thing to completely study because to totally eliminate anyone's worries, if they were convinced by science, we would have to have, you know, the the gold standard, a randomized controlled trial. Therefore, we would have to give, you know, a large enough segment of the population, let them continue using their phones and be exposed to radio waves. And then, of course, we'd have to have 
another siblings who don't use a phone and we'd have to do that for maybe five years and mm. then we'd then we would gather the information, bring it back and, and you know, and do an analysis and see is there a higher incidence of cancer or, or you know, other effects. And again, the, that can't happen. So we have to look at the existing literature and we have to look at what we know about ionized and non-ionizing radiation. And and you know, and of course the FTC have looked at this and the International Agency for Research into Cancer, they've all looked at this and they've come up and said, you know, to the best of possibility your knowledge that there is no link between, you know, the, the frequencies that we're talking about in these cases mm. and in the in carcinogenic effects on humans of the studies or the projects that campaigners against 5g quote the one that has resonated somewhat over the last few years is last year's u.s national toxicology program which on the face of it appeared to show what they called clear evidence that male rats exposed to high levels of mobile phone uh, radiation developed um, certain forms of tumours, even though the female ones didn't. And that has kind of been seized upon as clear evidence, as the smoking gun, that there there can be causation between high levels of mobile phone radiation and kind of illnesses. Now, to to be totally clear about this, the co-authors of that report also said that you shouldn't read you shouldn't necessarily um, connect that uh, experiment with rats with humans as the doses of radiation were much higher. And they explicitly said that. Nevertheless, it's studies like that, and there are, there are relatively few of them. But that is one that got quite a lot of airplay that, see, you know, that is being sort of pounced upon as evidence that radiation from f- phones can have some effect on humans. Yeah, and yeah, that that is kind of the case study which is usually put forward quite a lot. But again, that the exposure in 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 that study cannot be compared directly to what humans experience because in that study, rats and mice receive radio frequency across their whole body. Mm. But in contrast, we we are mostly exposed in specific local tissues close to where we hold the phone. Again, um, so that's really again, that's our head, the, right? Our head, yeah, and also when you're holding your phone and you're in, in like for instance, in my jacket pocket, for instance, yeah. that would be beside my. Beside I, ca- my I carry it in my pocket, and actually, one of the things I think one of the things that you you have acknowledged before, it's not clear to me what the science entirely is around this because I've, I've seen conflicting reports. Sperm count, um, yeah. Wh- yeah, whether or not, like, say, having a phone in your pocket for a man, uh, in your front pocket over years whether that affects sperm count at all i i, I accept i i accept that one mm. <laughs> to some degree because you, you, again it seems that sperm is very sensitive to any even non-ionized radiation so i can accept that as well as maybe even a laptop beside your lap all the time but mm. in addition also also wearing tight boxer shorts i know that from my wife trying to conceive many years ago mm-hmm. and telling me not to wear tight boxer shorts and all that so <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, again, so that they really do. And tight jeans, they affect sperm count again. But we don't have, you know, stop the tight jeans campaign really mm. as well. You know, but but again, the, the, to that degree, I would accept that one. But again, just that study wasn't, it really wasn't comparing, you know, cats and dogs. Um, um, again, that the exposure levels were just, they were four times higher than the maximum power level permitted. Again. This is so, the one with rats that I referred yeah, to earlier. The National yeah, the, the toxicology, toxicology Program yes, is, exactly. in the US, yeah. Yeah, so... 
so again, I, you know, I, I find that, you know, I've just got to go back and see, well, hang on. No, that's not exactly the, that's not exactly, uh, you know, really a truth, well, not a truth, but mm. the proper study that really convinces me. And again, I, you know, I don't have any horse in this race, really. I, you know, I'm trying to be just independent. What I am is a, is, yes, a computer scientist. Sure. I've been teaching computer, computer networks for t- 20 years. Um, also, I've, I've done loca- indoor location tracking device pre free passive localization mm-hmm. where you sense if someone is indoors and they don't actually have any device on them and what we do in that case we use wi-fi we use a received signal strength indicators and we we can tell if there's movement and device free passive localization is a special version of that and i've been doing that for you know for 10 years really and mm-hmm. some papers in that but i'm still not a radio frequency engineer and i'm not an epidemiologist or you know working in cancer and then, and that's the thing about this um actual topic as well it, it, it's um interdisciplinary right um because yeah. because because of the nature of the health if we're talking about the health risks of 5g we have to have a body of researchers working in different fields who understand the different concepts and then of course we have to extrapolate any results there so it is interdisciplinary there but like i said i i'm willing to be convinced if i see something you know i mean mm-hmm. i want to live as long as anyone else i want my kids to be healthy and of course you know I'm, i don't work for the mobile phone industry um, is there a point i wonder you see, I, I do actually have my own views on this, but I'm trying to play this one straight down the middle. And even the debate over the middle is you know, controversial because people who say that, you know, you're giving any platform or airtime to uh, to those who argue that 5G is dangerous, it amounts to a dangerous thing you know, around scaremongering. Um, I'm not so sure that's the case if it's done responsibly, but um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I would asks you for example is there any merit to the accusation that some of these campaigners make that for example governments and particularly industry players and telecom companies that they're not especially motivated to talk up any adverse results that they do find because you know communications and these networks they are so critical for the functioning of other elements of society, you know, communications, yeah. uh, commerce, etc. Like that, that is one of the other accusations that campaigners have that, well, of course, they're not telling you the truth because there's too much, uh, there's too much in it from they compare it to things like um, uh, they, to other health risks that are kind of suppressed for, you know, 10, 20 years. That's the accusation. Is there anything to that? Um. I, I don't believe so. Well, I, I can see where independent studies would could come up, and I've seen that in, in Tom Butler's report. We could come up with different mm. answers than ones which are funded by the mobile industry, of course. But I'm not into the conspiracy part because the people who work in these companies, the engineers, I, you know, I know a lot of them. I, I you know, I, I've gone to college with some. There is no real, you know, technology people are as honest as many, you know, is one of the more honest subjects. You know, there's kind mm. of a a lot of us are on the, uh, the autism scale, Asperger's, and, you know, side by side with that is actually honesty. And I find that in my work and, and you know, just in the industry, and you know it yourself covering this, that really the most people are sincere. So what we would have found is if engineers, if the, the people who design these phones and test them in the, in the anarchic or, you know, the chambers and do this, we would see high rates of inc- or cancer there. We would see these guys coming out saying, look, at, don't do what I did. Don't work with mobile phones. Don't go mm. into this 2.4, you know. But that just doesn't happen again. That, that um, 
you know, and I don't see the mobile conspiracy. I don't see governments conspiring. You know, governments are just everyone's just trying to protect their, you know, their own seed. And politicians get behind this as well, behind these campaigns again. So, um, I, 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 don't I mean, the, the, yeah, aspect. The, the, I suppose if you're being kind to that theory about a conspiracy or you know that governments are in cahoots with with industry, <laughs> you might sort of argue that. Um, there are certain, say, mild carcinogenic effects, for example, as has been acknowledged by the World Health Organization. But when the World Health Organization yeah. says that, it's it puts it into context and says, yeah, yeah, there, there are carcinogenic uh, threats, but it's the same as processed food. You know, so there, there are a hundred different carcinogenic effects that you face um, every yes. day. Um, but again, and I'm trying to be kind or to, to try and understand some of the uh, motivation behind these arguments that campaigners make, but they might say, yes, but the WHO and governments, they're they're playing down the carcinogenic effect. Yes, they're putting it in context. Yes, they're admitting that there is one there, but um, they're not, for example, admitting that you shouldn't be holding your phone, uh, you know, under... I don't know, five or ten millimeters away from your face, um, which apparently is a thing. I mean, you, strictly speaking, I think most of the testing for radiation from the phones, I think, is based on a minimum distance. I think it's five millimeters. You might correct, correct me if I'm wrong. Which, yeah, which by yeah. the way, is a very is a very small space. But in theory, yeah. there could be a difference between holding a phone right up to your skin and having it a few millimeters away. I suppose. Yeah. There could be, and uh, again, I suppose, um, you know, I again, I'm open to research into it to see if mobile phones themselves do, because, you know, you do have something which is receiving a signal that's quite close to our bodies. Mm. But uh, again, when it comes to the 5G as well, people, again, a lot of the crux has to come from the fact that someone somewhere heard that there was higher frequencies being used that you know before we were using 900 megahertz up to 3.4 gigs and mm. now we're moving up to 67 66 to 71 gigahertz and there's different bands which are used for 5g and i think the millimeter wave and there has to be something there that someone thought hang on look at the increase in power in the gigahertz range but it is still so well below the non-ionizing line where it turns mm. to ionizing radiation. So Again, a lot of the, a lot of this comes down to trust, doesn't it? I mean, do do we trust it's regulators? Yeah. Do we trust the European Union? Yeah. Frankly, whatever about whatever about the Americans, because it's yeah. it, I I do believe it's slightly easier to point the finger at American regulators and, and government and say, well, they're not maybe maybe it's more possible that they're they're bought than European ones. That I mean, you could make that yeah. argument. Um, so do you trust the European Union regulators? Do you trust, you know, Comreg? Um, do you trust bodies like yeah. the Irish Cancer Society? I think most people probably do. They do. They do. But of course, some people in this, they can't, it's hard to rush, it's hard to rationally or, or argue with some of these, or debate with some of these people. But my problem is, because I don't like scaremongering, especially because I work mm. in the security industry, and I see people with irrational fears when it comes to security who believe that their phone has been targeted by someone, that every hack is out there. Because generally when it comes to media, the headlines always say blah, blah, blah is, you know, can be your iPhone is whatever. But when you go into the details, you find that, well, actually, you have to do this and this and this. And oh, listen, ab absolutely. And, I mean, yes. there, there, there are. Yeah. And I know that myself from from reporting yes. on it. And I've reported on other 
things that I think are conspiracy theories around your your phone listening to you to yeah, sell you ads. Exactly. I, I don't necessarily no. um, believe that. But to be fair to some of the campaigners, and like I, I went to one of these meetings. It was in Enniscrone in Sligo. There were 200 people there. And yes, yeah. I'm sure there were people there who turn up to protest meetings and who do believe in conspiracy. But I spoke to some of them and, you know, I have to believe that many of them are well-meaning, genuine, or simply yeah. don't, you know, don't know what this is and, you know, have have fears. And I, it is maybe easy sometimes for people in our position, and I say our position I, as a tech journalist, you know, for 15, 20 years, you know, from, from your perspective, um, you know, having quite a deep insight in, into the industry as well. Sometimes it's easy for us to kind of laugh or sneer, but actually the, the, those fears might be genuine. I've no doubt the fears are genuine again. Um, again, a little bit of a problem I have, apart from one or two exceptions, is a lot of the people who are pushing this agenda really or, or, or campaigning for this don't really have any understanding of frequencies and radio and and um, radio waves really mm. and even even when it comes to you know the the the, the impact of ionizing and non-ionizing radiation on skin you know they're not epidemiology yeah. that, that's what that's what i have a problem with because i like the truth in every in everything i just want the truth out there and i don't like genuine people being scared because someone has got to be in a bonnet about something, but they actually have no background and no knowledge, no understanding, mm. and that they sometimes are mixed up in conspiracies. And then this leads to the the person who just has a new a girl somewhere or a man mm. with a new baby. And then they pick up on this because they've seen it on Facebook, they see it elsewhere, and they start to change their, their habits, you know, their personal use of technology, and they could be affected by this negatively. And it, because it does slow you down if you were to turn off 5G, 4G or 3G in your house, because, sorry, not Wi-Fi in your house mm. as well, which some of them campaign for and start to use wires all the time and all that. So, I, you know, it's like any topic, really. I, I just want the truth, I, I you know, and that's the one thing I have a problem with. I don't have a problem with any scientist or someone who's mm. coming from a medical background. If they've got worries, I will sit up and always listen to that. But if someone really doesn't understand the fundamentals of of whether there's cell phone radiation or, you know, 5G radiation, well, then I'm afraid they've lost me, you know, they've lost me from the start because I, I just, you know, I, I don't, I, I want some foundation for their beliefs so that I can also learn and see, well, hang on, okay, you know, that's worth investigating further. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, look, um, thank you very much for coming on uh, the show. Uh, Professor Kevin Curran there from the School of Computing, Engineering and Intelligence Systems at Ulster University. You're welcome, Adrian. And once again, I'd like to mention that this podcast is brought to you in association with Magnet Networks. Uh, we thank Magnet for their sponsorship of this uh, podcast series. And now we're joined by our second uh, interviewee for this uh, podcast, Professor Tom Butler, who is a professor in business information systems at University College Cork and a former research fellow for the Irish Research Council for Humanities and Social Sciences. Professor Butler, you're welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Adrian. Now, you, I think it's safe to say, would be one of the more prominent campaigners who are going around different communities and warning them, in your own words, about what you see as the dangers of a 5G rollout around the country. Is that fair? I wouldn't describe myself as as a campaigner. Um, And... uh, 
I wouldn't use the term warning, I would say informing, um, informing them of the, um, the research findings from what is now a significant, significant body of cumulative research. Um, so, and, yeah, go on. And you know, also pointing out to them that, it, as in much of science, that, that there's two paradigms at play here. There's the established paradigm out of the U.S., um, whose philosophy is is that there are only thermal effects from exposures to uh, non-ionizing radio frequency radiation, i.e., the microwaves from our, our devices, and from three, four, and five, and soon to be five G, um, and that there are no thermal effects, um, uh, and and so they they ignore completely. 50 years of research emanating from Eastern Europe, from Russia, Poland, Czechoslovakia, and indeed the United States, which which have been focusing on, on non-thermal effects. I mean, when you say the US, but that is our view as well, isn't it? In the European Union, in Ireland, uh, sort of our regulators, our safety uh, authorities, that is our view as well. I mean, we, we have looked at all of this and we've come to the conclusion that there isn't a substantial um, health threat from non-ionizing radiation. Isn't that right? Um, well, the one body um, that's responsible for setting the standards, the International Commission on Non-Ionizing Radiation Protection, mm-hmm. uh, ICNIRP, which is an NGO based in Germany, which is funded, uh, I believe, from industry and has incredibly close links with industry, has established the European standard to be three times laxer, roughly speaking, than the U.S. standard. Um, and, and so in many respects, uh, Europe is, is even less safe when it comes to this. And it, let, let's be clear about one thing, right? Mm-hmm. The World Health Organization's um, IARC, that's uh, International Agency for Research in Cancer, uh, would not have classified uh, non-ionizing radiation as a class 2B possible carcinogen in 2011 unless it had scientific grounds to so do. Now, on top of this, 28 scientists in in 17 countries have just this year advised the, um, uh, to, sorry, 29 scientists in 18 countries recommended that uh, non-ionizing radiation be prioritized by the WHO's uh, IARC, a program during the next five five years in 2020. In other words, additional studies have over the last 10 years have, and this is just where cancer is concerned. It says nothing about what I think uh, it, it are like the kind of you know the everyday effects of 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 this uh, on human biology and on children biology because there are significant studies out there, and I think the um, these studies cannot be ignored. Um, if you take all of the independent studies, between 70 and 80% of all independent studies find effects, whereas studies that have been conducted by industry, um, to be sure, 70, 70% of them roughly find no effect and 30% find, find effect. So, so the issue here is that the consensus, the scientific consensus is pretty much there are biological effects, they, they are relatively serious, they do affect children more uh, than adults potentially, um, and they are um, they are becoming more and more evident. And if you think if you think of 
recent studies released um, in the U.S. in terms of the, the cancer registry there, what they're finding among adolescents and, and young, young adults is, is a disturbing increase in the type of, of cancers of the central nervous system, particularly in the brain. Um, and, and the links can't be proven, but the only environmental linkage that folks are pointing to is the increased use of, um, of Wi-Fi and I mean, cellular the, devices. That, that is an important phrase, though, isn't it? The links can't be proven. I, I asked the Irish Cancer, so- Cancer Society about this, and they were very, very... Um, solid and certain in what they said. They said, quote, there is simply no evidence to support worrying about phones, masks when talking about a cancer risk. Uh, They say that in addition, the changes to frequency used by technology such as 5G means that these signals cannot even penetrate uh, the human body. They go on to say that we know that there is no increase in human cancers from communications devices from looking at cancer numbers over time. So, like, now, now, look, there are lots of organizations and regulators who basically say the same thing. But when the, the dedicated body for addressing cancer in Ireland comes out that strongly on the issue, like, what well, answer is there to well, that? Well, first off, when they talk about 5G, mm-hmm. um, it shows the first error, right? The higher frequencies in 5G, the millimeter frequencies, um, are not going to be the, the major workhorses. Um, they will be in major urban centres. What you'll find in countries like Ireland is that the vast majority of people will be exposed to 5G frequencies in the order of um, 7,800 megahertz, um, and, and the, the major frequencies will be in around 3.4 3.8 gigahertz, right? Yeah, so that's not millimeter so, wave like they're rolling out in the States, it, for example. It's not millimeter, it, it's, yeah, it's not, not yet, that is, mm. not yet. It, it, in Europe, at least, the millimeter wa- meter waves aren't supposed to be rolled out until 2020. I, um, if even then, but, I, I'm not even sure they're going to be rolled out then, but yeah, yeah, go on. Well, we may not have a business case for it, I'll put it like that. Mm. Um, and the early experience in the US with 5G phones hasn't been good. The technology is, is pretty battery hungry. And by the uh, way, that, that the point is an important one um, in one of the in one of the central fears that that when I talk to people outside cities, one of their main fears and the way that the, the, the it symbolizes the issue is they say we're going to have masts every <clears throat> couple of hundred meters or at least we'll have boosters. And the operators here say that even when they do roll out um, the the new network, that won't be the case. They'll almost entirely be using existing infrastructure. They might build a few extra bits and pieces, but they, they don't really have the money to build all that kind yeah, of new stuff. They, they, if they stick to the free, if they, if they stick to the existing um, um, uh, frequency, in order to the, the, the three point four to three point eight. They are slightly above, well, they would be the same as uh, 4G LTE frequencies, mm, roughly yeah. around the same. So they'll, they'll be moving, switching from 4G LTE to, to these new frequencies. Yep. Um, so so you wouldn't, I wouldn't expect in the, in, 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 in the countryside the, a build-out of additional masts. You might find at some well, point... That's an future, important point, though, because that, that is something that is seized upon... 
by uh, a lot of people who have concerns because it's a visual representation to them. And and you might also argue, in fact, I would definitely argue, because I've covered issues around this for you know well over a decade, there has historically been um, a more challenging environment in accepting new masts, whether the telecoms masts or pylons, or, or you might even argue uh, windmills, um, in rural areas than in urban areas for all sorts of reasons. But it is a visual manifestation and that when somebody sees a mast going up, it, the, the, there might you know there might be just this instinctive concern that there there might be a problem there with it. Yeah, well maybe it's a gut reaction in people's behalf, but I mean there is there is a significant body, as I repeat again, and I, I don't know what the Irish uh, Cancer Society is position is, is on this or the research and advice they're drawing on, right? In, in you know, if you were speaking to them again, I would ask him, well, you know, what research, what body of research, what reports are you basing your um, your opinion on? Because it is only an opinion. Mm. When you when you compare that to the International Agency on Research and Cancer from the World Health Organization, which has already said it was a possible carcinogen, right? They did, but they put that into context, didn't they? Didn't, didn't they say that it was a possible carcinogen in the same way that, for example, processed food is? Well, you take it, same as lead and other uh, toxins were, were purchased that. Now, what I find, right, and I'm coming at this from a risk perspective, right, mm-hmm. is that people don't understand risk. Now, the, the difference is, if you take, for example, I've heard one, one IT manager in, in the school system in Scotland push back against the local group uh, and Wi-Fi in the school by saying that, you know, you know, uh, this, this class to be carcinogen is the same as um, pickled vegetables, right? Yeah. So, so when... The minute I heard that, I said, okay. Um, so I looked at the research on pickled vegetables. And sure enough, if, you're, if you live in, in Japan or you live in, in, in Korea uh, and you eat pickled vegetables at a, on a regular basis, the most recent research has found that you're 50% more likely to get uh, or develop a colon cancer. Now, armed with that information, you can manage your risks. You can cut back on your consumption, right? When you, when you release something systemic, in other words, when you expose the entire population, okay, radiofrequency uh, radiation, right, uh, without any opportunity for anybody to escape from it, mm-hmm. um, you're, you're absolutely increasing the systemic risk. And, and this is a point, um, you know, a lot of people, in, both in medical practice, fellow scientists, and the Irish Cancer Society do not get the risk is systemic here and but, is significant because what's yeah. been proven in the lab, what's been proven in the lab is this, right? Is that exposure to low levels of non-ionizing radiation increases oxidative stress in the cells. This is a natural process, right? Um, and, and you know, we, we recover from increased levels of oxidative stress, either caused through exercise or other activities or other environmental pollutants. Um, because our body, if we if we're taking in sufficient antioxidants, we can mop up those those um, mm. those rogue molecules, right? And they won't want to do the type of damage that they do. However, right, when you're constantly twenty four seven exposed to to environmental influences, and if you're in the category of people who are sensitive. 
to them, biologically sensitive, that is, not psychologically sensitive, uh, it means that your body will not have the ability to recover. But, so I, but is, is, it, is it not possible, though, that, you know, the Irish Cancer Society and Comrade and all these all the regulators, etc., that they do accept and acknowledge that there is some risk from radiation, the same as there's some risk from, as you point out, you know, pickled vegetables, or that there is some risk from walking outside when there is a smokestack nearby, or there's some risk in crossing the road when there's a car goes by, but that it is one of these manageable minor risks that's kind of part of everyday life, and that as long as it's below a certain level, that absolutely triggers, you know, demonstrable health effects, that, um, that that's just part of, of, of daily life. Well, um, the, the, the point is what, what a lot of studies have shown um, is that the, the risks kick in at, at, at pretty low levels, you know, almost um, even a million times lower than what's legally permitted. Um, in, in the Soviet Union, for, well, the former Soviet Union, in Russia, for example, and in countries like uh, Czechoslovakia, or Czech Republic, sorry, uh, and Poland, the, the levels are a thousand times, the safe levels have, have been a position that's been a thousand times less um, than the levels permitted in Europe. But, but if that's um, the case, then why, like whatever about the Americans, leave the Americans to, to, to one side, even though, you know, you would hope that their safety authorities would have you know, de- decent standards, but leave them to one side. The European Union, I mean, isn't isn't the EU generally a trustworthy organization? Because a lot of this comes back to trust, right? Doesn't it? I mean, should, don't mm. most of us trust the EU, even more than our own national authorities here in Ireland? Don't most of us trust the EU to kind of look out for our, our, our health and safety? You would, but in in this case, and I think you know, there's a lot of lot of folks out there with conspiracy theorists, right? Are conspiracy theorists and with conspiracy theories, I'm not one, right? But when 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 the industry, and I do believe this to be a fact in Europe as well as the states, when the telecommunications industry, you know, effectively captures, and that term comes from Harvard Law School and their ethics uh, unit over there, um, captures. The, the regulatory agencies, um, their interests become paramount to the interests of the general population. And particularly if they can position, uh, as you could back maybe in the 80s and, and the 90s, uh, because there's a huge, I suppose, information asymmetry, knowledge asymmetry, uh, between uh, a very small scientific community with this type of expertise and the general population, and I include here politicians, and the conventional wisdom, which still persists in physics, that only ionizing radiation, which is in orders of magnitude a million times more powerful than non-ionizing radiation, can cause uh, damage to DNA. Well, the only possible conclusion from that... That is is true. That is true. That is true. But in the, in the intervening period, <laughs> um, um, biochemists and bi- biologists have, dis- have identified mechanisms um, which, which are 
at play in, in, in generating other types of cancers uh, to be also uh, at play in terms of non-ionizing radiation. I mean, that, that suggests either one of two things, either gross widespread incompetence on the part of universally across the board among um, you know, safety regulators or some kind of conspiracy. I mean, there, there can't, there's, there's no there's other no, explanation. There, there is no conspiracy, right? Um, right. So, you, so you're saying not. that then there's kind of gross incompetence, that, that these studies are out there, but they just turn, a, not turn a blind eye, but they somehow haven't incorporated it into their, into their thinking or into their modern testing. Exactly. Um, and, okay. and well, that is a big claim. It, it, that is a big claim. It, you know, the, the, the likes of the IEEE, right, mm-hmm. um, and the uh, ICNIRP, right, they're well-funded, mm-hmm. they argue the position, they're, they're, they're positioned very well. Now, this, is not, this type of behavior is not unusual in science, right, when you have a dominant paradigm, and the dominant paradigm um, essentially controls where research funding goes, um, and it's it, it's very difficult for for new research, new findings uh, to gain a foothold. This this was this point was identified many many moons ago by by Thomas Kuhn uh, in his um, Scientific Revolutions, which is in the philosophy of science, and this is pretty much where I'm coming from in all this, by the way. Um, and I'm writing a paper at the moment on on the evolution of ideas and the science around this particular area. And it's it's fascinating when I read back uh, and look at papers written in the 60s, in the 70s, and even as far as 1980 and the 80s, exactly what the thinking was back then. Um, because research here goes back to the 30s, interrupted by the war, and then cut out again in the 50s and, and 60s. So so what, the way I view this from, say, from my philosophy of science perspective is that there's there's a paradigm change on the way here. It'll take time to happen. Uh, it'll, it'll take a hell of a lot more evidence to convince um, governments and regulatory agencies to, um, to change their, their perspective on this. That's unfortunate, but that's the way the world. I mean, no from an evidence point of view, yeah, it would, it would really have to be kicking into people at a fairly youngish age because by the time you get to be, say, 70 or 75. You might get cancer, you might get something else, you might have something else, but it's, that's much harder, other than if you're, you know, your lungs are black from smoking for, you know, for 30 years, yeah. or your liver is destroyed from drinking nonstop. It's very difficult to assign that to a particular thing. So, so even if somebody does get cancer when they're 79 or 83, it's going to be very, very hard to link that to a to a phone it's only really if it were happening to people say in their early 40s on mass you know so like the evidence so far it's just not really there is it i know i know there are studies and there's one particular one uh, in the us the toxicology the national toxicology one which which linked um phone radiation to male rats to tumors in male rats although the co-authors of that study did say that you couldn't uh, make uh, um, a conclusion as to the application to humans 
from that study with rats because the levels of radiation were different uh, and it didn't affect the female rats. But there is that one study. But until people start actually getting I, I, cancer. I, well, well, if the statistics are to be believed, right? I mean, there's a study by 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 a, an English group which identified, and again, they weren't, they weren't to my mind, looking for, for uh, any causal linkage between cell phone radiation and the increase in, 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 in brain tumours. But they were looking at cancers of the central nervous system in the UK between 1995 and 2015. And they found one particular type or two particular types of, one particular type of cancer, which, which is prevalent in, the, um, in the, the temporal lobes at the side of the head and the frontal lobes um, uh, had increased threefold. Now, the incidence, the incidence of this type of cancer is pretty small to begin with, right? I think is a six in 100,000. But if that increases threefold, that means, you know, you know of 18 people in every 100,000 with a very rare type of cancer that is almost impossible to, to treat, uh, which has a very high mortality rate. Mm. And, and you know, just think of this now, Adrian, right? Mm. Last year... If my memory serves me, you had the oncologists in Ireland saying, you know, that there were, the system was at breaking point in the stands, and in five years' time, the through just to natural normal increases in cancer rates, it would be um, incapable of dealing and treating and supporting. Uh, people with cancer. Now, uh, mind you, that that is to do with other things as well, like an aging population. Know, that, and, and the, you know, that's, that's yeah. the point I made. That's the point I made. That all things being equal, right? The our ability to treat cancers. So, if there is even a small increase, right? Even if there's a, a doubling, say yeah. from from six to twelve, right? That's another twelve people per hundred thousand, right? Sorry, yeah, I, I, I'm not. I'm not aware now. I will right? go and look that study, but I'm figures. not. I'm not aware of that study. But I. But I. I am conscious, and, and as as I'm sh- as I'm sure you are, that um, you know we, we don't want to scare people here either. So so I, I will go and look that 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 study up. But, but I mean that that would. I, I don't want to overplay that now as as um, uh, as something that you know is is a smoking gun. Yeah, well, look, it's it. There have been other studies of this nature as well. And uh, there's been a very interesting study in Sweden, for example, um, on an increase in Alzheimer's. Um, now, it, 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 needs to be, it needs to be confirmed. It's an epidemiological study that looked at al- the, in- the increase in Alzheimer's from the 70s, right? And I think back then, 70s and 80s, it was very flat. Uh, you know, increase in Alzheimer's mortality. I, I'll qualify what I'm going to say. So I think it was about, about 50, to, 50 to 60 per 100,000 deaths from Alzheimer's across all ages. But the, 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 when you look at that graph, and I can forge on the, the, the study itself, and you can have a look at it. When, when you look at that graph, around 1995, things begin to take off. And there's a tenfold increase in the mortality rates from Alzheimer's in Sweden between 1995 and again, 2015, 2016. And the inference has been made by the researchers responsible for the study was that when you look at all the other environmental, fact- environmental factors, there's only one in Sweden that really jumps out at them. 
and that's the increased use of cellular telephony in Sweden, which is one of the first adopters. I mean, it's still a big leap, though, isn't it? Well, going from 60 or 50, 60 to 500, 600. And what, what they also discovered no, is it's a big leap the, in the logic. I mean, that's that's not really based on any actual scientific link. It's that's more that's a deduction. That's back of the no, envelope deduction. Isn't well, it? this is what this is what it, well epidemiology is science, right? It looks at the the previous pattern of diseases, um, and and quite often epidemiologists can't uh, identify the causal factor. They can only make inferences hmm. uh, from agents. You know, looking looking back in at history and identifying cause and effect in in any area of science is difficult enough. You have to conduct experiments, hmm. and conducting experiments in humans is problematic, as you can well imagine. Before we go, Professor Butler, there was one other thing I wanted to ask, and that is that many of the concerns that we're talking about here today really have more to do with ordinary mobile phones and smartphones and mass than specifically at five G, which begs the question. If we were to take, um, you know, the uh, these concerns as seriously as some campaigners would uh, would like, it would effectively mean, you know, not using mobile phones anymore, right? Yeah, and that's well, I wouldn't say not, but it's when you look at it from a risk perspective, you need to manage and mitigate risks. Um, and and that means reducing um, overall levels of exposure. Uh, by redu- I, I take, for example, all of the new Wi-Fi routers that have been issued from the various companies, right? And um, uh, there's been research done in this, albeit not scientific research, right? Are operating at levels um, which which would have been 10 years ago, for example, would have been at industrial strength in domestic homes. Now, there's a very good business reason for that, in that you know the last thing that any 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 broadband uh, supplier wants to see is engineers or technicians uh, tied up uh, solving problems. So, so these units are one size fit all. They go into apartments and large houses, and uh, they provide excessive levels of connectivity right mm-hmm. for, ex- for example i can i can i can get my 2.4g um, um uh, wi-fi connection Wi-Fi, yeah. well into the garden about 50 to 60 yards away mm-hmm. i've switched off the 5g um and you can do i would advise people actually to switch off the 5g uh because you don't need to use when you say 5g you mean the five gigahertz um Five gigahertz on Wi-Fi. the Wi-Fi Sorry, the, at yeah, home. Yeah. yeah. So for yeah, people yeah. who aren't that familiar, you can sometimes switch between two point four and five gigahertz on on your on your router. Yeah. Yeah, and you're you're only kind of again from a risk perspective is to is to switch one of those routers off. You can you can do it from your smartphone. It's quite easy to do. Um, and then of course make sure that your router is switched off at night. But particularly, if, you know, not particularly for yourself and your children's benefits. But right? this this sounds so we, a little bit. This sounds like a little bit like running away from your microwave oven, <laughs> doesn't it? No, no it's not. No, it's it's you know, If there's identifiable scientific there's scientific evidence for identifiable risk there. What you do, much like for example, with your uh, pickled vegetables, is re- you reduce your consumption. Right. There's no need to be you, you feel disconnected. 
Okay. In fact, there's been lots of research done is that lots of young people and not so young people are too connected and are distracted and are suffering other problems because of that, right? So the thing is, you know, you know, there's nothing wrong with being offline for some portion of the day. We don't need to be connected. I oh, know, yeah, and that, 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 that's a separate discussion now. Yeah, and there are issues around. But, does, but I, I'm not saying I'm not saying that mobile phones should be banned around like that. I'm not saying that you know, you know why Well, hang on a second. What, if they're what, carcinogenic and if they're giving you cancer, then are you? Would you not be saying they should be banned? No. Well, logically, you'd have to come to that conclusion. But the thing is, we we live in the real world where people still smoke. Yeah. Um, and they vape, uh, they take, uh, you know, drive on safely. We take risks. Part of living is taking risks, right? Mm. And so you have to acknowledge, number one, um, that there are risks there in order to mitigate the, 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 uh, the effects of those risks on, on the most vulnerable in society, which are, in this case, children and people with compromised immune system and diseases. Okay. Um, listen, uh, thanks very much for coming on the podcast, uh, Professor Tom Butler there, who's Professor in Business Information Systems at University College Cork and a former research fellow for the Irish Research Councils for Humanities and Social Sciences. Thank you very much, Avery. And that's all we have time for this week, folks. My thanks again to Magnet Networks for sponsoring this series. And if you like this podcast, please do hit subscribe or like. But for me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, bye-bye for now. The Big Tech Podcast, in proud association with Magnet Networks, connecting businesses virtually anywhere in Ireland.